Hello, friends. There's a few hellos. That's great. Hello, friends. Hello. Hey, that's better. I may or may not ask a few questions, and you are allowed to answer, slash encouraged to answer, um, because I'm not up here on my own. We are together in this. Uh, so my name is Colton. Uh, some of you might know me, uh, and you probably know my kids. Seen them running around in the service, Finn and Arlo. Um, if I looked a little more disheveled than usual today, uh, it is because Arlo kept me up all last night. So that is why. Oh, thanks, Bill. I'm not used to this whole uh, preaching thing. You got it. Kids are dismissed. Uh, so with that, uh, that is a reminder. I am very gracious to you all because it has been a while since I have preached. And so I'm glad to be here. But I'm a bit rusty, so thanks for being here with me. So before we get started, why don't we pray together? God, you are a good God who continues to speak to us. Um, you use your word for generations to um, remind us of, of who we are, who you've created us to be. I pray that. As we spend time in your word together, we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, and we would feel sent. So everything that is of you, Lord, may it just resonate, and everything that is of me, just uh, fall away. In your name, amen. So I didn't mean to do this, but I have to one-up Derek's 20 pounds of pulled pork. It just so happened that the story I was about to tell is about a 40-pound frozen block of chicken wings. Uh, we did not plan this. It just happened. So I used to live in a house in my undergrad. Uh, there was anywhere from four to seven people that lived there. And we call ourselves an intentional community house. One of the things that we did to engage our community and to participate with those around us is we would host a weekly meal on Monday nights very creatively called Monday Night Dinners. So every Monday night for about five years, and then it continued on for another five years after I left, we would open our doors and say, if you'd like to come and eat with us, please come and eat. When I would meet new people at church or at school, I would say, every Monday, this is our address, we eat together. It was great because it was consistent and uh, it was a, just a way to, yeah, welcome people in. So as we started to do this, more and more people found out that we are offering people food. We didn't ask people to bring anything. We just said, we want you to come. There's no obligation. Just bring yourself. And so uh, a camp that I used to work at, they said, we've got some frozen food left over. We'd love to give you guys. And so they brought us this giant box of frozen chicken wings that had slightly thawed on the way to us, and then when it got into our freezer, it refroze into one just solid block. So we couldn't just have some of it. We had to then thaw the entire block of chicken wings and eat them all at once, which is great when you have 40 people coming over to your house. Uh, so that's what we did. We would have anywhere from an intimate group of five people to, like I said, we, we started getting up to 35 or 40 people that would come to 
our house and we would eat together. Uh, unfortunately, we never knew how many people were coming. There was no RSVP system, so we just hoped there would be enough food, and there always was, thankfully. Uh, so people came, they each got their own tray of chicken wings, and they could season it however they like, and we had a little competition. Uh, and I don't remember much about how the food tasted, but I do remember uh, it was a really enjoyable experience for us to be together. We did lots of things like that. We, we once made an entire flat of mac and cheese in one pot to see if we could do it. Don't recommend, but it can be done. Uh, we once had a Thanksgiving dinner, and the turkey wasn't done until 10 PM. Uh, so we had pizza that night and ate turkey for the rest of the week. Uh, but, but I tell you these stories um, partially to get our mind kind of in the framework of this feast where everyone is welcome. and because we're going to spend a lot of time this morning talking about one of my favorite things, food. So I'm going to ask two questions today. One is, why do meals matter? And the second one is, who is at our table? And I hope you can remember them. I'm going to call on you. Who, or why do meals matter? And who is at our table? So as... Some of you know we've been going through the book of Luke for years, which is great because the book of Luke is great. Uh, and one of the things I love about the book of Luke is it, there's a, a theme that Luke writes into this whole book. Uh, there's two themes that I particularly like. One is food, which we've already mentioned. And the second is justice for the marginalized, the poor, in the here and the now, a resurrection in the now. So let's first talk about food, and then we're going to talk about the second part. So why, why do meals matter? First one. So you may know this, but we all need food to live. <laughs> Great. So far, we're, you're on the same page? Excellent. I know it's a very simple thing, but because I love food because it is the great equalizer. We all need it. We all have to eat at some point. And, and this was the motivation for our Monday night dinners. We thought, largely it was a population of students that came, and we thought, rather than eating on your own in your dorm room, why don't we just come and eat together? It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but at least we're doing it together. When we sit together with someone at a table, it implies relationship. In fact, the English word that we have, companion, is actually derived from French and, and Latin words, meaning one who eats bread with another. Now, I could go down this long rabbit trail about bread and the body and its simplicity and its complexity, uh, but I won't because we don't have time. But uh, maybe I'll let, uh, maybe this is a plug for Charlotte. Maybe she'll preach one day on, because she's, she's the baker in our family. So food is a tangible necessity. We all need it. And it also comes with a variety of customs, uh, assumptions, and most importantly to our passage today, with social dynamics. And you probably have experienced this if you've gone to another country to eat, that there is a lot packed into a mealtime. How you, how you eat, when, the length of time, um, different customs. 
we find connection and meaning with one another in this way that we eat. So it's both universal, but it's also tangled up with this myriad of social complexities. Uh, an, an author by the name of Christopher Smith, he has a really great way of uh, phrasing the importance of uh, food in our community. He says, gathering around the table to share an ordinary meal is literally a down-to-earth way for us to celebrate together God's provision and to extend God's care to one another, to our neighbors. I think it's beautiful that there's something that is so necessary to life that implies community, that in itself is a communal act. It's also no accident that when we want to get to know someone, um, what, what do you do? You go for a coffee, you grab a drink, you invite them over for dinner. There is something about eating with another person that breaks the ice, that uh, opens you to one another. And I was so encouraged by uh, our barbecue last night or yesterday afternoon for the worship, uh, worship team because I saw a lot of that happening. I saw and met people that I had never met. I had conversations that I wouldn't have had on a Sunday morning. And for those of you who weren't there yesterday, a few weeks ago, we had a barbecue at the beach as a church, and I saw the same things happening. It was beautiful that people I'd been in church with for so long and maybe not had those conversations, there was space, and there was time, and there was connection. So, now I need to justify why I'm spending so much time making you hungry, or at least making me hungry. Uh, like I said, Luke loves to talk about food. There are around 60 instances where he writes about meals, which ends up being about 2.5 per chapter. So that's a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that because we've kind of been going through it so, so slowly, but uh, Luke loves to talk about food. And he loves to talk about food because Jesus loves to eat. He loves to talk about food. He loves to eat with people. And when he eats with people, things change. So there's a ton of examples of Jesus eating throughout the Gospels. Can anyone think of any? This is the participation part, where you say something, and I say, that's great. The Last Supper. The Last Supper. Wow, nail on the head, right? Nice work. Uh, she's not a plant, by the way. Anything else? Water into wine, celebration. Yeah, feeding of the 5,000. I'm kind of like, I know that there's no, there, you know, as a teacher, there's no right answer, but St. Peter's Fireside, <laughs> Bre breakfast at the beach. Uh, Jesus is always participating with food. He's meeting a tangible need, but while he's meeting that tangible need, he's also doing so much more. Meals foster bonds of existing community, but in Luke's portrayal of Jesus, Jesus uses table fellowship to establish new and unexpected bonds. Jesus is attempting to disrupt the social structure. It's a tangible way to very bluntly show the unequal treatment of human beings. 
At least this is the case in our parable. For Jesus, everyone was welcome to the table. He, he ate with everyone, sinners all the way to disciples. And this openness operated as a scandalous protest against the status quo. Now, with this in mind, let's return back to our parable. So, hearing this, a man sitting at a table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. I think maybe like the lamest excuse, but. <laughs> the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. This is the word of the Lord. It doesn't feel right unless I say that. So you may have a bit of deja vu from last week as Rob preached uh, on a parable of a feast. But Luke has very interestingly put these two parables right next to each other. And if you haven't listened or you weren't here last week, I'd highly encourage you, go listen to Rob's sermon. He did a great job of kind of laying a foundation uh, of humility for what we are talking about today, which is more of the practical uh, tangible elements of hospitality. Now, what is this parable meant to do? What are parables in general meant to do? I believe that a parable is a story that is meant to teach. It functions as a, mean, uh, a means of calling forth a response from the hearers. So Jesus is sitting at this dinner table with some Pharisees. He's already told one parable about a feast where there's unequal uh, power structures. And now he tells another parable. So he's really trying to get the point across. You know, someone at the beginning says, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. And I think maybe Jesus responds in this parable and says, no, you still don't get what I'm talking about. And I think we can read this as an allegory for the kingdom, that the master is God, that the banquet is the feast of the kingdom, and the various groups of guests are various would-be guests at the end of the age. And I think that there's really some value in that. But I would hate for us to miss on the very obvious, in-our-face, tangible approach as this parable talks about hospitality and makes us think about the here and the now. 
Unfortunately, it's easier to talk about this as allegory because it means that we don't have to change anything about the, the way that we're acting in the here and the now. I mean, maybe there's some things that we can change, but if we're, if we're looking at this literal picture of a dinner and inviting strangers and people in, it's uncomfortable. It was a very different uh, way of bringing people into a meal in, in the time that Jesus was eating, but it also is not common now. So earlier in Luke, we see a very similar thing in Luke chapter 5, verses 29. Uh, Luke calls Levi, or sorry, Jesus calls Levi to come and follow him. And, and then it says this, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I, I love that verse. I think it's such a great kind of summary verse of the book of Luke. And I think it reminds us that Jesus is... Concerned with food, but primarily he's concerned about who we are eating with. Who are we facing? Who are we having conversation with in this way? Which leads me to our second question, which is? Yeah, thank you. Who's at our table? It's kind of a tricky way for me to make sure you're paying attention, which I know you are. Uh, so who, who's at our table? Uh, I'd like to tell a quick story about my son, Finn, because it gives me an excuse to put a picture of him behind me. Uh, so Finn is two and a half, and his brother is one and a bit, and uh, we go on lots of walks in our double stroller around the neighborhood uh, because it's great to get outside with them. Now, Finn has recently gotten this habit of saying hi to literally every person we pass. So as we're in our stroller, I have no idea who this person is. And he says, hi, hi. And they wave and say hi back because they think it's adorable. Because let's be real, it is. <laughs> and after that person passes, Finn would turn to me and say, neighbor, neighbor. And it started as people in our building who are our literal neighbors, but it extended to everyone in our community, in our neighborhood. And the theologian in me had to say, yes. Yes, this is our neighbor. And there is something refreshing, whether it's accidental or not, something refreshing to me to, to be reminded that Finn does not see these people as strangers. He sees them as neighbors. And if you forget everything else about my sermon, just remember what my two-year-old said, which is maybe we should be in inviting our neighbors. We should be seeing people as our neighbors. So Henry Nouwen, who I love, he's got a really great way of phrasing, uh, of phrasing this. He says, it is obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can cast off their strangeness. Doesn't that sound nice? And become our fellow human beings. And I think this is an invitation to a table 
to a hospitable space where we can allow others to cast off their strangeness, but perhaps we can also cast off our own strangeness. The ways that we have closed ourselves off to those around us and use the table, use a meal as an opportunity to do that. Now, Jesus goes beyond even inviting the stranger and specifies us to invite who? Another non-rhetorical question. Who does he invite in the parable to come to the table? Everyone. Well, right answer. Uh, Yeah, he, he invites the crippled, the lame, the poor, and anyone that could possibly fit inside of this house. People behind hedges, very specific, but (laughs) Jesus proposes inviting those who cannot repay. After listing four main categories of people who are usually invited to such dinners, friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, Jesus suggests maybe four other categories. The poor, crippled, lame, blind. And surprising as that may seem to us, it would have been even more surprising for the host whom Jesus is addressing. It was precisely such people whom a good Pharisee would consider not only unworthy, but also religiously unclean. So here Jesus is rejecting both social convention and religious convention. So why do we do this? Why do we invite the stranger to come and eat with us? Or why do we sit at the same table? Do we do it because it's the right thing to do or because we have something to offer? Do we do it out of obligation? That is a rhetorical question, and I would say no, probably. We eat together because we are all welcome at the table. Jesus, when he eats with those who in his class, people who wouldn't really eat together, he does this as a way to say, we all belong here. There's an openness and there's a vulnerability, but there's a spot for everyone. So easier said than done. Uh, how do we do this? It, it is difficult if we wanted, if I'm going to put out the call to say, let's invite strangers to come and eat at the table with us. I think that's very, perhaps noble, but difficult. Part of the reason for that, uh, there's, a, there's a quote that I'll have up here by Christine Pohl. She, wrote, she writes an amazing book on hospitality called Making Room. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. She says, because of so, so much of helping has been turned into a profession with paid specialists, it's very unusual when someone gives focused attention to a needy stranger outside of a paid relationship. Giving a stranger our full attention communicates that he or she is interesting and worthwhile. We pay attention to the people we value. And it's sad to think that we have less opportunity to do that, to pay attention to the people we value, people that are unlike us, that think differently than us, that have different life experiences than us, that we might and probably do disagree with in some things. So it's not easy, but maybe we can think of some ways together where we can invite the stranger 
to cast off their strangeness. So one of the ways that uh, our family and our community group loves to do that is uh, we are partnered with our, one of our Outwards partners uh, called Jacob's Well. And they are great. I was hoping that picture would be up there. Uh, I just need an excuse to show off my kids and my <laughs> wife. Uh, so Jacob's Well, they are a community center in the downtown east side. And one of the things they do among many is they have once a week meals uh, on Wednesday nights where, again, everyone is welcome. Uh, it's not a soup kitchen. There's not a group of volunteers that cooks and serves. Um, it is a community event where people are in the, the kitchen setting up tables and just there to get to know each other a little bit better. So we go there about once a, once a month and um, usually, yes, one of us straps Arlo in and we're in the kitchen. And it's just a great way to be reminded of people who are, have different life experiences than us, who live in different spots in the city, um, who have different challenges than we do. And almost every week, there is also a birthday. So every week, a cupcake or a pie or a cake or something with a candle in it comes out, and we all sing happy birthday, which is an, just a beautiful reminder to, to celebrate while we're in those meals together. So that's my little plug for Jacob's Well. We go on Wednesdays, the third Wednesday of every month, but they do it every Wednesday. So this is one small way that us and our family remind ourselves on a regular basis that we need to be people with people that are unlike us. We welcome them to our table, or more accurately, in, in that case, we are welcomed to their table. So that's one kind of example of what we might be able to do. But I would encourage you to think this week about how do we extend hospitality to not just our friends and family, people we know and love, though that is so important and a valuable way to build community. How do we invite people into our lives that we don't know, that we might call strangers and maybe our kids might call neighbors? It doesn't need to be fancy. Hospitality is, it thrives in small acts of participation together. Invite someone over, you can cook together. It doesn't matter if your house is a mess. We once made uh, a curry at Jacob's Well and the protein was breakfast sausage because that's all that was in the freezer at the time. And it wasn't the most delicious thing ever, but we cooked together, we ate together, and we appreciated that time. So maybe first steps for you, it looks like coming to uh, a picnic at the park in the pool. Or maybe with your community groups, you start eating together every week, even if it's just uh, a dessert. Maybe after the service, you connect with someone that you've met in passing, but you haven't really gotten to know yet. And for the introverts among us, I, I can hear the protest. And I know that it's difficult, but bring a friend with you. You can, you can do it together. Like I said, it doesn't have to be fancy, but we do need to take initiative. We do need to be intentional about who we eat with, because otherwise, it'll just default to the people we know, the people we're comfortable with. And this is a challenge and an encouragement that it's OK to be uncomfortable okay for there to be awkward silences. Um, this is kingdom work. 
and you're just eating together. Like, that's, that's good news. So I will, I will send, you out with that, um, send you out with that challenge, and I would, be, I would love to hear other creative ways that um, maybe you, you can come up with. Maybe you do a weekly meal like we did, although 40 people in a Vancouver apartment might not work, but we're a creative bunch of folks that I think really could um, extend the hospitality that God has offered us to those around us. So with that, why don't we pray?